Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. In a seminary missions class, Herbert Jackson was told how as a new missionary that he was assigned a car that would not start without a push. I don't know how many of you have ever had one of those kind of vehicles. Um, And after pardoning his problem, he devised a plan. His plan was that uh, when he went to the school near his home, he got permission to take some children out of class and had him push his car off the hill to get it going. And as he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or he would leave the engine running. And he used this ingenious procedure for two years. Ill health forced uh, Brother Jackson's family to leave, and a new missionary came to that station. When Jacksley proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. And uh, before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted. He said, why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. He gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared to life. So for two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Only a loose connection kept Jackson from putting that power to work. So in Ephesians chapter 6, because I didn't go there like I was supposed to, I was talking. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The power that we need does not come from ourselves. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So let's pray. Lord, please help me to be a blessing to the saints here. Uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just guide me in my thoughts and my mouth, Lord, that everything I say is pleasing to you, Lord, and according to your will and purpose. Pray for Pastor Stewart, Lord, that you would touch him, heal him, and strengthen him, Lord, and help him day by day, minute by minute. And we just pray now, Lord, for each person here, for the things that are going on in their lives, the strives, the battles, the failures, the wins, Lord, just help them with their own daily walk. And we ask it all through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see all these things and One of the things that goes on is it starts telling us about that what's really going on, the real fight that we have, is not the things that we can see. It's not that you can take your mobile device and pop it open and open up Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever it is, the map of your choice, and see what's going on, where your troubles are coming from. Because no matter what you're seeing with your eyes, you're not really seeing the whole picture. 
we have the Hubble and the James Webb telescopes pointing this uh, into the heavens to see further and further and, and allow us to see places that we'll never be able to reach as, as men here on this earth. We have microscopes like the $27 million electron microscope that can see down to the half the size of a hydrogen atom. Even with all of those, they are not going to help you see the warfare that's really going on in your life. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. In verse 2. We'll start in verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1. The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Understand, there are a lot of people in this world that have eyes to see and ears to hear but they really can't see what's going on because let's face it, there are times we see people and we see some of the things go in their life and you're like, what are you doing? It's like, how can you be so dumb, stupid? Fill in whatever you want to say because their eyes are not seeing and their ears are not hearing what they need to hear and see. They're just seeing the stuff that the devil's got in motion and all the things going on. We got people who are so consumed with fear that they don't even want to live, leave their house. And God says, we're not supposed to have the spirit of fear. God tells us in the book of Revelation when he's talking to us that what we need is we need ear and eye salves so that we can see what's really going on and what's really important. The world's strongest man competition was won by Tom Stoltman of the UK. He did two knack giant medley, 13 deadlifts, a Flintstone barbell, nine power steel reps, and five Atlas stones, and he beat the, the next closest person by over 10 points. He's strong, way stronger than I am. I mean, it's night, light years difference between how strong I am and how strong that person is, but physical strength does not help you in a spiritual battle. I appreciate the verse you over there where it talks about a soldier. We're going to be talking about being good soldiers of Christ today. And one of those things is when you go to boot camp, they have you all do all sorts of things. I mean, they give you the haircut to make sure you don't have any hair. And if you decide to get a haircut before, they will show you that there's even the possibility to have no hair. We had somebody that tried to do that when I went to boot camp. Uh, you get to do all sorts of physical exercises, and if you decide to mouth off or be a little bit of a troublemaker, they have special ones for you. Well, maybe not anymore, but they did when I was there. Uh, you got to march and march and march and march some more and march to and from anywhere you're going, even to places you really didn't want to go, like medical where they line you up and then they you get to stand in the long line. You think Starbucks lines are bad or the Walmart checkout line is bad? You ought to be in boot camp when it's time to give out shots and you have this huge long line of people sitting in there in your military issue, white undies and T-shirt, ready to get your shots. And they just line you through and there's like, you know, you get this shot and that shot and I don't even know what all the names of them are, but it's pretty much, you know, the kitchen sink. And they do all of that. Why? The first thing is they're trying to make a good soldier out of you. And the first thing to make a good soldier out of you is to realize you are not in Kansas anymore. I'll give you an example of that. So I flew from to, out of SeaTac and I went to Chicago, Illinois on January 2nd, 1985. 
I don't know about you, but if you've ever been to Illinois in January, it's not warm. So they shuffle us out down. If we get off the plane, they lead us to the USO. You hang out there in the USO until your bus comes. So I got sitting next to this, this kid, because we were all kids, you know, 18 years old. And he was from Louisiana. Anybody here been from Louisiana? So this, my friend from Louisiana, well, he became my friend, had a pair of jeans on, a long sleeve t-shirt, and a windbreaker. Because that's the warmest things he owned. So we were lead, led from the USO and we're heading out to the double doors that open up and the second set of double doors and there's a nice, okay, it wasn't nice, but it was a bus and it was gray. Anybody here ride a school bus when you're a kid? Okay, did your heater work? No. Okay, that, you know the bus, except this one was painted gray and said US Navy on the side. So we get out there and he's walking with me and that first double door opens up because we're not in the front line, we're in the back. And when the first one opens up and that gust of about minus 20 air came below, you could see it sucked every inch of air out of his lungs instantaneously. He had never felt anything that cold in his entire life. We huddle onto the bus and then we take about an hour driving a bus with no heat and you're just hoping that... The, the driver can see because the windows are fogged up. The, you know, the, the defrost doesn't work very well. We get up there. They give us old used pea coats that somebody else had. That, that was your thing to warm you up. Um, and then you had to go through all this paperwork and all this other stuff. And then the next day, you get experience of snow. So for the person who has never seen snow in his entire life, day two, wearing jeans, his long sleeve T-shirt, his windbreaker still, and that pea coat over the top, and some gloves they found for him, we were out shoveling snow. And see, it's not like snow in Washington. Snow out here, let's face it, most of the time it melts by the end of the day. Maybe it sticks around for a week. This just keeps coming. So they pile it up. You have to shovel it off the sidewalk. Well, the problem is you can't shovel it out into the road. You have to shovel it up. Well, by now, it had been snowing for a month. So you're having to throw it up about six feet up into the air. And he has to keep doing all this. So one of the things that he learned about was as soon as we got out of boot campers, they have things called long underwear. He wore them everywhere we went, including Florida, because he was so cold from being in Chicago. You know, some of the things that go on with your physical strength is you can have all of this strength that you get from working out, from all this other stuff, and what good is it going to do you? Think of Samson. Sam, special strength. Yet all it took was a woman to take his strength away. All it took was his heart with wanting the things of the world and not what God wanted. Because you know what? Just imagine what Samson could have done if he would have go, God, give me a godly woman. I don't care what she looks like. I'd really like her to be able to cook, you know, maybe a few other things. But you just go, God, just give me a woman that has her heart set on you. What could have Samson accomplished? Instead, she was trying, and the sad thing is, he's like a lot of guys. Everything was there, and it was obvious to everybody around him, look, she's not good for you. You know, she's trying to take your strength away, and you're this stupid guy following her like, you know, like a calf out to being slaughtered or something. And that's a sad thing to say, but that strength did not help him. Your education, wisdom, talents, money, brains, whatever it is, is not enough. Not for this battle. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul was talking about the fact that we should have no confidence in the flesh. 
Paul also tells us that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. So if we're fighting a spiritual battle, this is not what we need to fight the battle. And I'm not taking away, let's face it, there are a lot of people out there that are good soldiers. They learned all the stuff, because I went to Navy boot camp, um, obviously, so I think it's the best service. But, you know, I understand there's discerning opinions that think otherwise. Um, they're wrong, but, you know, that's okay. But there are people out there that are good soldiers. They've been to Afghanistan. They've been to Pakistan. They've been to all these other places, Vietnam, uh, Iraq, Kuwait, all these other places, and they are great soldiers. They know how to do their job well because the military helps prepare you to do that. But in a spiritual battle, all of those talents, all those things that you learned, most of it is not helpful. It's not going to help you. And we need to realize that we need to lean on the Lord. If we're going to fight these battles, it's not in us. It's for the Lord. And one of the first things in this uh, back in Ephesians chapter six, we're looking at is what does he tell you that you need to do? You need to armor up. That's my first point. You need to armor up. You need to get some armor on. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the human body has a whole, you know, God did a great job with us. But if you're in a battle, you don't want your ribs to be what's protecting somebody from getting to your heart. You want something else there. And Paul writes about what he knows a lot of, which is the Roman armor of that time. And he talks about the Roman armor. He's got something on his head. He's got something protecting the chest area and the shoulders. He's got stuff on the uh, the greaves. He's got things on the feet. All these things that you need to be armored up to do that job. And God's telling us that we need to do that. And understand, our history here in America is replete with great military men that we can listen to their stories, we can watch movies about them, and we can learn some great things about them. People like Thomas Custer, that's the brother of the other Custer, (laughs) Alvin York, Sergeant Alvin York, Audie Murphy, Chester Chesty Polar, Jorge Ortero Barreto, and many others, our American history of soldiers and sailors is replete with people who have been great examples of that, and we can learn some things from them and then apply them spiritually. We'll talk about one right away. Here's Alvin York. He was the most decorated U.S. Army soldier, or one of them, of World War I. He received the Medal of Honor for leading an attack on a German machine gun nest, gathering 35 machine guns, killing at least 25 enemy soldiers, and capturing 132 prisoners. He was born in rural Tennessee and grew up with minimal schooling. He was a regular churchgoer but drank heavily and was prone to fighting. He got saved in 1914 and vowed to get right, and when drafted for World War I, claimed to be a conscientious objector because he didn't want to kill anybody. The Bible says not to kill anybody. Persuaded that his religious beliefs were not incompatible with the military, he joined the 82nd Infantry Division as a private and went to World War I in France in 1918. PFC, but acting as a corporal, he was one of 17 soldiers assigned to infiltrate and silence a machine gun nest. Six were killed, three were wounded. The German officer emptied his pistol, firing at York, but failed to hit him. He then offered to surrender. York's explanation was that God had been with him during that fight. That's an amazing thing. By the way, they made a movie out of him. He didn't do anything after he came back. He did nothing to make money off of his fame of what happened. They did make a movie out of him. He took all of that money and helped start a Bible school. 
And yet, here's a person that most of America has fought. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter five. And we're going to read in verse nine. And it's talked about well, verse let's go back up to verse eight. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who's who? The devil. Your adversary is not the person sitting next to you. Your adversary is not the person who's out in the street. He's not the coworker. He's not your boss. He's not the government official. Your adversary is the devil. And as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions that are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We need to understand that the people around us are watching us, saved and lost. And if you put that armor on and you walk around with that armor on, some people here who may be in the sanctuary today are going to see you and notice it. They're going to notice that you're armored up, that you're ready for the battle, that you're doing the things that you're supposed to do spiritually to fight this battle. Additionally, lost people in the world may notice some things that are different about you than somebody else. Because see, if, if, if you're in the military and you're armored up and you're doing all this stuff, a lot of the little things are not really going to bug you. Because uh, if you live in the military, all sorts of weird things happen all the time. So eventually you get the point like, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, we, I went out on a couple med cruises, and I can remember you go through the med cruise, and it's been so long since the supply ship comes. You know, it got so bad in, uh, back right before, uh, right be- during the Gulf War and stuff like that. We had Vietnam-era gray crackers with the Vietnam-era dates on them that were part of our meals. They probably tasted the same they did in 1968 which wasn't really that great. I wouldn't recommend them. But, you know, it it was food. And those types of things are, when you armor up, understand that when you're in a battle, stuff's going to happen. You can't plan for every patent. And there are all the other great generals tell you, look, you make a plan, but as soon as the first shots start firing, that plan probably goes out the window. That doesn't change away the fact that we should plan. One of those plannings are, we got to get the armor of God on. we got to get all of it on. And uh, the addition to being armored up isn't good enough. we got to be trained up. Remember it happened to David when he went before Saul? Or I forgot, let me back up. David, as a young man, his dad sends him with some food to his brothers because there's a war going on with the Philistines. He shows up, his brothers tell him, oh, you're just here to see all the battle and all the other stuff. He sees Goliath come out, this big, tall guy. You know, imagine his head, you know, he's having to bend over and he's hurting his neck because he's so tall in here. That size of a guy. And he's, and he's out there and he's cursing God and he's cursing the Jewish people and all this other stuff. And David's like, go get him. Why, why are you standing around here? Why doesn't somebody do something? You know, this young stripling who has more strength of character than the entire army, including the king. By the way, Saul was the tallest person. He should have been the person. When David comes up there, they try to take Saul's armor and put it on him and give him Saul's weapons. Okay, the size thing should have been the first indication this really wasn't going to work out. But David says something very important. He says, I can't do these. I haven't proved them. I don't know how to use them. I don't know how to do stuff with them. And this battle that am I going to fight, it's not with mankind's idea of armor and weapons. i got to go in the strength of the Lord. 
Because, I mean, let's face it, if you had a general thing is like, oh, uh, you know what we're going to do is we're going to give you five round stones, and here's a sling, go kill the giant. Have fun. I'd be like, next, <laughs> find somebody else, please. But David didn't have a problem. Why? God had trained him how to use that weapon and to know that he could do the job with God's help. He wasn't expecting it to be all about him. But another thing about that armor without uh, a weapon is useless. I mean, unless you're just running around just like bumping into people and if they fall over, then they're out in a battle. You know, I, I just don't see the armor really being that great of a help. You need a little more than that. You need a weapon. Well, this verses that we read in Ephesians chapter 6 tells you you have a sword. It's the word of God. It's a two-edged sword. One of the things that that was different about the Europeans is we had long swords and other things like that, which were a dual-bladed weapon. That's a totally different thing in a fight than a katana. A katana is a single-bladed weapon. It is a great weapon, don't get me wrong. But here's the difference. You've got one stroke, and now you've got to get back out of the way, reset to slice again. You don't have to do that with a double-edged sword. You can cut them both ways. And I'm of Norwegian descent, and a part of that is when you studied the Vikings, when the Vikings were fighting, they had different pieces and bits of armor, but they almost always had a shield and a sword or an axe. And then what they're going with people, they were taking that shield, that shield of faith as a Christian, and you can use it to push somebody back. You can use it to push somebody over. You can get them so that they're not set with their feet. Because if you get somebody whose feet aren't set, you've already lost. And while that's going on, they've got that shield out in front. They're trying to take that sword, and they're trying to stick you anywhere they can. See, that sword isn't going against the sword. Back in the Middle Ages, most of the time, a lot of time, it was not sword on sword. It was sword on shield. You're trying to break their shield, and you're trying to get any cuts that you can get in with that sword so that you can win the battle. They were ferocious battles, but they usually didn't last that long because eventually somebody make a mistake. They get stuck. Guess what? Then they're going to make another mistake because now they're starting to lose blood. Fear is starting to take over. All these other things are going on, and it just gets, it tends to get worse and worse. We have the word of God, but the greatest thing about our two-edged sword is not the fact that it can wound, but the fact that it can heal. That sword has the ability to, no matter what you do to your heart, and we talked about that in Sunday school, whatever hard walls that you put about it, this two-edged sword can cut right through it. But, but not only that, not only can it cut through all that hard wall, that mucky stuff you put around your heart, God says it can come back through and heal it. It can be like the balm of Gilead. It can heal whatever is going on in your life. It doesn't matter whether you're in a really bad situation where you have a terminal disease or whether you're a young child who in the grand scheme of things really hasn't done that much wrong, that much bad. But you've done enough that you know the Holy Spirit's convicted you as a young child that you need to get saved. That sword has the ability to get to the heart of the matter and then heal, to allow Jesus Christ to come in and do a work and minister where no counselor, no person else on this earth, regardless of how much they want to help you out, hey, the person who wrote this is the person who made you. He's the original manufacturer. If anybody knows how to fix you up, it's him. Because even if you mess stuff up, he still knows what your original design and purpose was. He can help you with that. 
The second thing I noticed in, in this particular verse is going on is, or uh, besides armoring up or be, being strong, arming up is you got to stand. Uh, one of the things we've got away from is, as a culture, is men standing up. Um, you can have all the armor you want. You can be as strong as you want, but if you don't stand up, it doesn't matter. makes no difference whatsoever. You're not going to accomplish anything unless you stand up and get counted. On March 16, 2006, an army convoy in Paktika province in Afghanistan was ambushed. A rocket-powered grenade slammed through the door of a Humvee without exploding and lodged itself inside of Private Channing Moss. The round shattered his pelvis. A medevac helicopter was called in, but regulations forbid the transporting of a soldier with unexploded ordnance um, due to the possibility of greater loss of life. Chopper pilot CW2 Jorge Correa and his crew chose to transport him anyways. Army medical staff volunteered to try to save him. His heart stopped during the operation, and a bomb disposal officer helped remove the grade, which was safely exploded off-site. Not had expected to live and never expected to walk again, Pat Moss went through four surgeries. He then said later, I wanted to be an example of Army Strong, so with rehab and a lot of work and probably a lot of prayer by family members, he stood up and walked over to receive his Purple Heart Medal. He stood up. Sometimes people, what they need to see is a good Christian man or a good Christian woman stand up and say, no, this is what right is and this is what wrong is, and I don't care about all the psychobabble you want to put on the end of it. I don't care if Dr. So-and-so says something. This is right and this is wrong. Because if you're not standing and getting up in the battle, it's no good. One of the things about the Roman army is they did something a little different, if you really want to think about it, is that you were supposed to be part of a group of soldiers. You all worked together in the battle. It wasn't just one person. So if you went, uh, so if you decided to, you wanted to turn around and run, guess what? You're going to die. Why? Because you had no armor on your back. You decided you wanted to leave your whole group behind and run off. Well, guess what? They could get you from the back too. The purpose of having that armor is that you're supposed to be linked arm in arm figuratively with other soldiers and work as a group. Those shields and everything else had all sorts of different purposes depending on what was going on. That shield of faith is not only a weapon, it's a defensive item along with the armor. So if you were out there and let's say they were coming with horses, what you would do is you'd get down on your knees, you'd put that shield at an angle, and then you could take your sword and you could slice it this way. The person next to you would have his shield right here. So there's just a small little gap for your sword. The people behind you most of the time had spears. They could put the shield up over the top of you to protect you from arrows, and their spears could still spoke out or come out and poke things through those small gaps. So that means the shield of you and the shield of the people next to you is what kept you safe. It was not just your shield. The other thing that happened is a lot of times if they were doing close format things, the people who would be behind you would put their shield right into your back and they would help push you forward and just trample everything out in front of you. It wasn't just you and your own power doing that battle. It was you and the person behind you with his shield locked up behind him and the person behind him and the person behind him all moving in the same direction as a formation. 
and still doing the same thing. And then the other thing that would happen is somebody did get killed or injured, somebody would have to move up and stand in that gap. Things happen all the time. Your pastor's out. He needs people to stand in the gap and help out here. And from everything I've heard, you guys are awesome. You're doing a great job. What a Can you imagine what a blessing that is as a pastor to, to have some health issues and know that you have some people in your church that have a good heart and they're like, whatever we need, pastor, I'm here, sign me up. Not every church has that option. I've been to some churches because I grew up Lutheran. It's a whole different world. We had the oak pews, you know, the kind that you fall asleep as a, as a kid, you're sliding right out of that thing. <laughs> Everybody is going to know what happened to you. We also had the thing is we had the little booklet that had an insert in it. What would you do? Up on the board, they had these little wood things, slats with the with the songs you were going to sing. And you'd stick those into the hymnal so you know where you could just flip it open right away. And then they'd have the Bible verse. So if there was next one, would you stick that in the Bible wherever you're going to go? But the sad thing is, great people, but they were allowed to think that somehow their righteousness was good enough. Those are the people you want to have in battle for their character and all sorts of other stuff, but the problem is they're in the wrong battle. They think that somehow their self-righteousness is good enough for God to accept them and not realize it's in Christ alone. In Exodus chapter 14, when Moses is talking to the people, and he says, fear ye not, stand still. There's sometimes God doesn't need you to do the battle. He just wants you to stand up, stand along your brethren, and that's it. And he says, now you can watch me work. Because let's face it, there are times that we want to help the Lord out, and the God's like, you're not the one I want. You're not the David I need for this particular indica- this issue going on. I don't need you to say anything. I don't need you to do anything. You just get your armor on. You get ready, and you pray with your brethren. I'll bring the right person in to deal with whatever the situation is. Because in my zeal when I was younger and getting saved, it's kind of like having a hammer, and every problem that comes along, you want to use that hammer. And what I didn't realize as a young person was that there's this thing called tact. It's amazing what a little bit of tact will do. It's a little, it's really amazing if you realize that you're right, Jeff. Somebody needs to talk to him. It's just not you. Uh, That one took a while, probably a lot longer than should have. But understand that that's the way things are. In 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 30, it says, And to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. The best thing you can do is if you can arrange it in the morning or at least have some time during the day where you can stand and thank the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you for what you've done to me. Thank you that I live in the greatest nation on earth at this particular time. Thank you that in spite of all the things that our government's doing, I still live in the most free country on earth. We have the right to assemble together. There are a lot of places you can't do that. There are a lot of places where, honestly, this big of a group right here is government troops who come and take us all away. You would never be allowed to have this big of a group. There are missionaries out there that their ministry is just one or two people because they can't get a group bigger than that. Otherwise, the government's going to get involved. Think about how hard that is when God's giving you all this stuff about how you're supposed to put on the armor and you're supposed to work together and be a team and to go into all this battle and you can't get the whole team together. 
Now, spiritually, they can still still do the work, but that's got to be hard on a pastor or a missionary sometimes is dealing with those kinds of situations. Let's turn over to uh, first or sorry, Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, and we're going to be looking in verse twenty seven. And once again, this is the Apostle Paul talking to us, and he's saying here in verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Okay, right there, that, that's one problem I've had. My, my conversation has not always been according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then it continues on, and it says, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith and the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Understand that there are things that are coming down the road that may go worse and worse and worse, but we're not supposed to have a spirit of fear. And one of the things that can help you with that is fellowshipping together with the brethren, standing together doing things together with your brethren here in the church. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Once again, this is Paul preaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. He says, therefore, you know, this is kind of, he's trying to get, pay attention Right? Therefore, I'm trying to, trying to bring this all together. Therefore, brethren, I think that's such an amazing thing if you think about the fact of what he's saying. He says, he's saying the same thing to you here today. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us an everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. There's a lot of things we need to stand for, and what we need to stand for is good works, doing some good things, helping people out, being a blessing, being an encouragement. Whether they have Baptist on their door or not doesn't change the fact that God may want to use you to be a blessing to somebody. It doesn't matter whether they're saved or not. God may want you to be a blessing to that person and to help them. And understand, there are some people, you may do it with fear and and a little bit of trepidation. But if that's what God wants you to do, there is no safer place on this earth is to be where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do. Because if you're armored up and you've strengthened yourself in God's word and you've got the whole, and you've got all of his weapons available to you and you're standing, you are the safest you will ever be anywhere on this planet. And that's, that doesn't matter whether it's in the middle of a war zone the middle of a jungle in Papua New Guinea or some other third world country or living here in Washington state or anywhere else in the U.S. The safest place we can ever be is in God's will, doing what he wills his way. And his way is not my way. His way is, I know you. I know what your talents and capabilities are. And I want to use you with this purpose in mind. Because you think about all the people that they had those weapons with the spears and the shields and things like that. They took advantage of people who had special skills. Hey, can you ride a horse and do it really well? Okay, you're probably not going to be one of the foot troops. Uh, can you do a slingshot and launch that rock a long ways and kind of get in the general area where it needs to be? 
Hey, we got a job for you. Do you like, are you really good at the bow and arrow? Hey, we got a job for you. There's a lot of people that run from that had the swords and the spears, but guess what? There are also people there that had to cook food. There are also people there that had to be in the medical corps to take care of people. Because let's face it, we have people that are dropping out in the Lord's army that need somebody to get them healed up, to get them strengthened so they can get back out in the front line. The majority of our troops are not frontline troops. The more the troops are everybody else to get them where they need to go, give them everything they need, keep giving them weapons, keep giving them food, make sure they have medical supplies and all the other things they need. That's the majority of our military. It's not the frontline troops. And it's the same thing in God's army. Let's face it, there are some people who are fabulous at witnessing and reaching people. I know a couple of them. Uh, Matt Briggs, if anybody of you know Matt Briggs or Adam Adabu, from our church, um, you know, they are the living version of an otter. They're like, I'm happy to be here. It doesn't matter where it is. I'm glad to meet you, no matter who you are. They are fabulous. That That's not me. You know, I can fake it for a little while, but, you know, that wears out after a while. And people go, yeah, you're not, that's not you. You know, especially the people that really know me. No, that's not you. Now, I'll pray for them. I want to encourage them and strengthen them too and do what I can. But that's the difference of God knowing what you're really good at. And using it in that particular manner. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Or or back to, I guess. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. First Corinthians chapter 16, and we're going to be looking in verse 13. The first part says, watch. Who? Ye. That means you. That means me. That means all of us. You're supposed to have your eyes open to what's going on. If we're going to be in the Lord's battle and we're going to be a good soldier, you got to get your head up and start looking around because there's many things that need to be done. There's many opportunities for the Lord's work to go forward, and we have to be able to watch ye in order to be able to do that. Notice the second part there. It says, stand fast. You know, I'd, I'd say the modern version of this is man up. No offense to ladies here. I just think there's a, there's a huge dearth of being real men in America today. Stand up, do what's right, say what's right, and that's it. Now, I grew up in an era we had real heroes. They were John Wayne. And people like him, which the good guys wore white and the bad guys were black, and we didn't play all these little games, well, he's kind of a bad guy, but he's really a good guy. No, he's not. You're either the good guy or you're not. That's all there is to it. Do the right thing. And we've lost the thing to actually look at these people as heroes. What we have for heroes today in modern society are victims. We elevate victims and have made them the heroes of our society today, and that's not the way it should be. Our hero is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greatest hero that ever existed. He died for every single person on this planet. That's a hero. A hero's not going somebody, oh, this bad thing happened to me. Hey, I'm sorry that bad thing happened to you. But maybe that bad thing happened to you so that God could get a hold of your attention. Maybe that bad thing happened to you because five years from now, ten years from now, God's going to bring some little girl or some little boy in your path and you're going to be able to reach them in a way that nobody else can because you can say, I know exactly what you're going through. I can't do that for everybody. Yes, I had my upbringing in Mayberry RFD. 
I don't know what it's like to live on the back side of Chicago or a whole lot of other places. I don't know what they're going through, but there's some people who have that are saved and have got out of it who can go, I know exactly where you're at. You may have had to grow up with alcoholic parents. I had an alcoholic grandparent and, uh, he did a good number on my, on my mom and the other side of the family, but he always treated me good. Now he still took me in the bars because in the Midwest, anybody can go into bar. You just can't order anything. So I've been bars, everything else, but he always treated me really good. And that was the Lord taking care of me. But the reality is for a lot of those people, they need somebody else that can come alongside them and go, Hey, I can, I'm, I'm standing with you. Come on. Let me help you up. Let me link arms with you. Let me help strengthen you and help you get through this. Because it doesn't matter what happens in your life, how tragic, how bad, how whatever, God still wants to help you. Why? So you can reach others. Because this world is lacking people that have strength and character and desire to help other people. It's like, oh, that's somebody else's problem. And the thing is, God made you with specific talents and specific capabilities. You may be able to reach somebody that no Nobody else can. Because let's face it, I live up in Chalice, Washington. My odds of seeing people from Ridgefield are not super high. I mean, every now and then I stop on the freeway on the way down to Portland. But in the grand scheme of things, there's a whole group of people that live here in the city and outside of the city that I am never going to meet in my entire life. But you might. You might. There might be something where you have a divine appointment where God goes on your heart and says, hey, I need you to go talk to that person. It might be your neighbor. It might be somebody somewhere else. Who knows? God goes, I want you to be a good soldier. I want you to be be strong in the Lord. Learn some verses. Memorize some verses so you can tell them the plan of salvation. Get that armor on. Get that sword out. Get that shield up and stand. And when the opportunity comes, go, okay, Lord, I'm ready. And God may go, you know what? I've got something simple for you to do. I just want you to stand up and hold a sign. Don't have to say anything. Don't have to do anything. You know, or maybe God goes, you know what? For you, what I want you to do is go to your local Walmart or insert the slot, take a track, and every now and just casually walk by and, you know, toss it into their basket. I've done that. Now, for you that are otters, by all means, carry on a conversation, do what you good, and you go right ahead. There are times I'm like, ooh, they're big and scary. I'm just going to slide this in there. But that's where God uses what's special about each one of us in his own way to reach the people that need to be reached. Because there are people out there, right? Let's face it. There are people out there right now that are hurting. And they're hurting in some really hard, difficult ways. And God, through the experiences you've had in your life, has equipped you uniquely to be that medic that they so desperately need. And he knows the heart that's in you. And you may have a heart that you want to help everybody known to mankind. The hard part then is, well, maybe there's some people you shouldn't help. They're for somebody else to help. Having that divine knowledge of who you're supposed to reach. There was a TV show a while back uh, called, uh, based on a series of books about uh, Richard Sharp. And there's a, there's a part in one of them that I'd seen, I don't know, long ago. Probably I wouldn't recommend watching them because I haven't seen them in a long time. But there was a part in there I remember, and it goes something along the lines like this. I typed it out the best I could. And he's talking to a whole bunch of people because there's a battle with the French coming on, and he's trying to talk to them about what they're going to experience. And he says, there's a lot of smoke in battle. Our cannon, their cannon, our shot, their shell, our volleys, their volleys. And you don't see a battle, you hear it. 
Black powder blasting by the ton on all sides. Black smoke blinding you and choking you out and making you want to vomit. Then the French come out of the smoke. Not in a line, but in a column. And they march towards our thin line, kettle drums hammering and a golden eagle blazing overhead. They march slowly and it takes them a long time to reach you. And you can't see them in the smoke, but you can hear the drums. You know the battle's coming towards you. And the front rank of the column marches out through the smoke. And your group fires a volley and the first bunch of people in the, the front rank of the column falls. And the next rank steps over them and with drums hammering and the column smashes your line like a hammer breaking glass. And Napoleon has won another battle. That's what's happening in, in America and all throughout the world today to Christians. But then he goes on and says, but if you don't run, if you stand until you can smell the garlic and fire volley after volley, Three rounds a minute, then they slow, they slow down even more, they stop, and they run away. All you've got to do is stand and fire three rounds a minute. Now, you and I both know that you can fire three rounds a minute, but can you stand? What about you, Christian? Here today, in the 21st century, can you stand? You may be in the middle of the biggest battle of your life, Due to, and can you stand 15 more minutes? Using the armor of the God and asking him for his power to help you. Because let's face it, there are times and things that come in our life. You're like, Lord, I don't know how to make it another minute. Well, that's the time to stand up and ask the Lord, give me the strength. Give me the strength to make it five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever that might be. Maybe you've lost uh, the last battle due to temptation. Or maybe it's anger or some other issue. Can you pick up the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and go once more into the breach? You may be here in the world, the flesh, and the devil have completely beaten you down. You don't even have the strength to get up off the floor. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to read in verse 4. In the context, if you are here today and you are so beaten down by the world, the flesh, and the devil, you don't know how to get back in the battle, this is your verse. 1 John 4.4 4, Ye are of God. Let's not skip about who you belong to. Little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our God can supply all our need, not just some of it, not just while we're skipping rope and, you know, having a great little time in the summertime. No matter what circumstances in your life is, God can supply all your need. And he's saying God's talking to the here in this case is all of us as little children going, hey, I can keep you safe. I can protect you. I can help you with what you need. I can do all things through Christ, which strength, or who strengthens me. Because let's face it, there are times you're going to go, I don't have the strength. You need God to give you that strength. Uh, the worst thing of all you can be right now is if you're here today and you're lost, you are in a world of trouble because you don't have somebody on your side. You may think the devil's on your side. You may think the world is on your side, 
But you're going to be like the prodigal son. And after you lose all your money, all your fame, everything else, you're going to find out what the world and the devil really think about you when you're eating with the pigs. And that's what happens. And you think, oh, it can't be that way. Really? Pay attention to how many movie stars, actors, everybody else who have all the money in the world, they can go anywhere in the world they want, buy anything they want, and they still commit suicide. Because if the world and money was the way, let's face it, they have the best of everything. You might be like Garth Brooks, who, what, 20 years ago said, I've made so much money now, it is impossible for myself, my wife, my kids, and my grandkids to ever be able to spend it. If it, if money and fame and power was really where it's at, these people would be have the greatest lives known to mankind, and they wouldn't be on drugs because of their depression. They wouldn't be committing suicide. But see, here's the problem. They're not listening to what the Word of God tells them. It's like, look, you're in a battle. And if you think you're not in a battle, guess what? You're going to still get wounded whether you decide to get in the battle or not. It does not change the fact. If you don't think so, go to Afghanistan today and talk to people. There are a lot of innocent people who get hurt in a battle, and that's unfortunate. But that's the reality of life that we live in. But you don't have to fight your battles alone. See, if you're lost, you're fighting the battle completely within your strength. You don't have what you really need is somebody to come alongside you and give you that strength to keep going in that battle. You need the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest warrior that's ever lived on this earth. The one that looked at the battle, the great battle, which is our souls, and said, you know what? I'm going to die on the cross for you. In spite of all the evil and wickedness in your mind and your heart and the things that you've done, I'm going to go to that cross to pay the price for you so I can buy you back from the slavery of the devil. That's the greatest battle that has ever happened on this earth. And if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are without God and without hope because you will not get out of this world earth with hope it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and i don't know maybe everybody here is saved i just want to make sure you understand if you are not saved if you do not know for sure there was a date and a time whether you remember the date or time that you got down on your knees and you asked the lord jesus christ to save you from all your sins you confess that you want him to be your savior and you said look i'm just a sinner please save me If you've never done that, you're fighting this battle on your own and you are without hope. And if you're having a hard time in life, this might be a good place to check it up too. Maybe you got saved at five years old, four years old, six years old, and you've gotten the horse and you've forgotten your first love. You need to get back to the Lord Jesus Christ because that's where your hope's really going to be at. You want to take care of all the problems and ills going on in your life? What you need the Lord Jesus Christ is come and put his arms around you. And I know as a man, you know, that affection and emotion kind of stuff. Yeah, but you know what? It doesn't matter what kind of man you are. There are some circumstances in life that you cannot handle alone. You need the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not one of those, you know, that's that's not when you're praying the King James prayer. Let's just be honest. You're not going, oh, Lord, please help us thou thy servant in this difficult time that I'm going through. Your prayer is going to be on your knees or on your face. and You're going, oh, God, please help me. But the problem is, if you have not asked him to save you, he is not going to listen to your prayer. Because there's only one prayer he wants to hear from you as a lost person is, God, please save me. And until you do that, you can forget the rest of it. 
You see all these promises in this book? If you haven't asked that Jesus Christ to save you, they're worthless. They are not going to help you until you accept his son. Why? His son came down here, lived among us, showed us the right way to live, and died for us, and then you have the gall to stand before God and say, I am so good, I don't need your son. How dare you? You think you're so good, you're so self-righteous, you are God's gift to mankind, that you're going to turn down the greatest gift ever given because you're all that. Look how much the devil in the world has lied to you to you to even think that. And we have a God that's coming down, standing right next to you with his arm open and say, please take my hand. I know where you're at in your life. I know the horrible things that may have happened in your life and that people may have done to you. I know the people that you called your friends and they're sitting backstabbing you the second you turn around. And he goes, I'm not that way. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's no greater promise that you can ever get on this earth than to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is on your side and that, you know what, the greatest thing of all is when you're going through stuff, you don't have to go, oh, God, please show up. He's already there. Cause why? Because you're his child. He's in you. And if you have never made that choice in your life, I beg and I plead with you right now, please call on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know somebody here and you're not sure of your salvation, Find somebody. Talk to somebody. If you're listening on the webcam and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, please reach out to this church. Reach out to some good Christians that you know and say, I'm not sure about my salvation and get that settled before it's too late. Because that's the thing about battle is you never know what's happening. You don't know what's going to happen in the next second. You don't know that you're going to drive down the road and something's going to happen with your vehicle or somebody else's vehicle and it's over. And I'm going to tell you my last story. When I went to boot camp out of Chehalis, Washington, back in 1985, I was supposed to fly out with another kid who was from Adna, Washington. It was just west of Chehalis. He was supposed to go with us. A couple of weeks before we were supposed to leave, uh, one late night, he got off work late, and he was driving his little Honda Civic Accord, whatever, you know, little short thing to the ground. And he was driving out Highway 6. It was the middle of the night, and there was another kid coming the other way, teenager, been out drinking at a party, had his hopped-up four-wheel drive, weaving all over the road. Came around a corner, that four-wheel drive came into his lane and drove up and over the top of his Honda and took off the top of his car and killed him instantly. He didn't go to boot camp. Do you think in any way, shape, or form he ever thought something like that would happen? He was thinking, I'm leaving a boot camp in a couple weeks. I'm just biding my time, working my job, and I'm out of here. No, your life's over. Like that. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ and that happens to you, you are going to go to hell and you are going to burn for all eternity. And it's because your choice, you decided, I will do it my way. And God goes, you don't have to. I already paid the price for all of it. All you have to do is accept my son. All you have to do in your heart of hearts is, Lord, please save me. And I know we say that as people who get up and we preach and we teach in classes and over and over. But I want you to understand, if there was any way I could get on my knees and stand before each person here and beg and plead with you to take the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's what it took, I would do it. If it took me standing in front of you with tears running down my face to say, please trust Christ. This battle, this life is full of failures of, of us 
and failures in battle. We need him. But far too often in our own little hearts, we think we're prepared for the battle. And as the verse says up there, if you're saved, it says, No man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The affairs of this life, when you care more about what's going on in this world than what the Lord Jesus Christ wants. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I pray that you would bless them, that you'd strengthen them, that you would just minister to their needs, Lord. I don't know what their needs are, but you do. And I pray, Lord, that they were, that you would bless them for coming and hearing something from your book. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, encourage them for the battle of this week coming up, Lord, that you'd help them to not only be strong, Lord, not only to be armored up, but, Lord, just help them to stand this week. Stand one more day. Stand one more hour, Lord, and stand with you and for you. And we ask it all through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.